The Courage to Lead, Episode 75. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a great week. Um, I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Uh, please help me welcome James Russo. James is a CEO of the CoreLink Solutions, a nonprofit organization focused on revitalizing communities by empowering people to reach their potential. He serves on the DeVry Board of Trustees, works with Think Human to help client partners and teams achieve transformational results, and he is the author of Success on Your Own Terms, Six Promises to Fire Up Your Passion, Ignite Your Career, and Create an Amazing Life. During his 20 years in leadership in companies such as J.P. Morgan Chase, where he was Senior Vice President in Chase Card Services and HR Service Delivery, Allstate Insurance, where he was President of the Affinity Business, and Legal Shield, where he was President of Business Solutions and then Chief Commercial Officer. James has created and guided high-performing teams through delivering double-digit growth mergers and acquisitions, offshoring, outsourcing startups, and well over 300 partnerships. James has a wife, Aisha, yes. uh, 24 years, a son, James Jr., a budding entrepreneur, and a hairless cat named Roxy, which I'm sure we're <laughs> going to talk about. And James lives in Wilmington, Delaware. James, welcome to the show. Thank you, Harlan, for having me. I appreciate it. No, this is awesome. A hairless cat. I've never, number one, I'm not a real cat person, but a yes. hairless cat. Yeah, a sphinx is the uh, proper name. Yeah, proper name. Yeah. And was that something you've always wanted? Did you just no. accidentally? No. How did that happen? No. Uh, let's see. I promised prior to getting married that I would uh, get my wife, I think, a reptile <laughs> of some sort. And you know how those promises come back and you go, well, yeah. I mean, I, I don't really want a reptile in the house. <laughs> so we uh, negotiated and uh, she is allergic to cat hair. So this was the, the solution. Uh, so it's kind of a reptilian. Almost. Yes. It yes. feels like it. Into the skin. Yeah. <laughs> You're a better man than I am. Absolutely. All right. So James, we're going to talk about all this. We're going to talk about uh, how you got your start, um, things you're doing with Think Human and CoreLink Solutions. And we're going to talk a little bit about your book. But before we get started, I've got some questions that I like to ask every one of my guests. Uh, listeners will know these are the questions from the TV show Inside the Actor Studio, where the host James Lipton asked these questions of the Hollywood stars, stage stars, film stars. And I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good Absolutely. enough for my guests. He's a great so, interviewer. Absolutely. All right. So starting off, James, what is your favorite word? Wow. Uh, my favorite word. Uh, introspection. Okay. What is your least favorite word? Don't. <laughs> What turns you on? Opportunity. And what turns you off? Barriers. What sound or noise do you love? Oh, noise I love. Um, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the, the water. I'm a rain guy. Like when it okay. rains, must open window, must hear rain. Awesome. What sound or noise do you hate? Kids crying. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, what is your favorite curse word? Fungal. <laughs> I 
I'm a Christian, so I don't use it, but yeah, Excellent. that would be the favorite. Excellent. Uh, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Radio broadcasting. I'd love to host a radio show. You've got the voice for it, man. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, what profession would you not like to do? Audit. <laughs> <laughs> I've known that one for quite a long time. Yes. There's no hesitation at all. All right. And finally, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the early oh gates? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done, my faithful servant. Good job. All right. So, James, we're going to come back. We're going to talk, like I said, about how you got your start. We're going to talk about your time at CoreLink, uh, the Think Human. And then we're going to talk a little bit about your book. And at some sure. point, we're going to transition and talk about courage and leadership. Mm-hmm. All right. Absolutely. So we'll get right back to this right after this message. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And we are back with James Rousseau. James, thank you again for agreeing to be on the podcast. Excited to have you here. Excited to be here. Thank you. So uh, I noticed in your LinkedIn profile that you were an ERP consultant for a while. Yeah. You went back. Wow. Yeah, way back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my wife and I both organizational change management oh, consultants, okay. and a lot of the projects we did were ERP implementations, which yeah. can be disruptive to businesses if they're not done right. Yep. Um, and then you've got an impressive background: J.P. Morgan Chase, Affinity, Legal Shield, all in executive level type positions, right? Tell me a little bit about uh, your experience there, what you learned, what you took away from the that time. Yeah, well, um, you know, I got to J.P. Morgan Chase by way of doing ERP consulting. They were looking to move from Genesis to PeopleSoft at the time. They needed someone to come uh, manage not only the payroll team, but lead through that process. And that was my entree there. I uh, started as a vice president working in New York in 2000. And uh, the very next year, they had a merger with uh, J.P. Morgan. So I started on the Chase side and so thrust into understanding what that's like. So I would just say one quickly learning that change is constant. And uh, I think literally during the merger, they passed out the book, Who Moved My Cheese? Yeah. So I think it was a really good <laughs> learning process for me from, oh, this is what I thought the job would be to, oh, it's changing from vanilla to Rocky Road overnight. And uh, what an opportunity to to have a team, start with a team of 60, uh, then uh, given the merger and property available for Morgan and Delaware, move my team from New York to Delaware, uh, and then just expand constantly. I think over from 2000 to 2005, my role expanded three or four times because I just would ask for more. So I think that was the other thing, learning to not wait for someone to say, do you want more? But say to your, your manager or leader, hey, you know, I, I think I can do more. I see an opportunity here. Here's how I would uh, pursue it. Uh, and then going to Allstate. Well, before that, I uh, decided I wanted to move from the HR side of the house to the profit side of the house. And that's when I moved from HR service delivery to credit card services. And I will say the learning there was just trying to become uh, that much more fungible, right? In terms of expertise. Uh, I didn't have a design necessarily. I think there's always breadth and width, right? Death and width rather. And I didn't want to go too deep in terms of being an HR person. I I wasn't going to become 
an HR executive for business. I knew I wanted to do other things. And I said, you know, how can I get to the other side of the ledger? So I went around for a while and networked and uh, got to the credit card business. That was the key learning that uh, even being a senior vice president in a place like J.P. Morgan Chase doesn't necessarily uh, buy your way into another opportunity. You need to see internal networking the same way you would external and that the mm-hmm. relationships matter. And that those things are going to help you, um, you know, transverse, if you will, <laughs> the, the uh, challenges. And uh, so learn that, did that for a while, learned that, and then um, got a call from Allstate and they wanted to start a business similar to what I was leading in J.P. Morgan Chase on the credit card side. We had over, well over 300 credit card partners and from Notre Dame and uh, all the football team schools to uh, Mary Kay and AARP. And, you know, my wow. job was helping them grow their credit card portfolios, those kind of co-brand cards you see in your wallet yeah, sometimes, yeah. right? Yeah. And how to, to do that. And I was, man, it's probably a billion dollar plus portfolio. And, uh, but it was, it was a great opportunity. You know how you start to get to a point where you go, huh, you know, am I challenged the same way here? Or is there something else I could be doing? And the call came uh, for that opportunity. And I had never done insurance before. So that was another thing I learned, you know, yeah. how, how to uh, cross Fields, if you will, you would say, well, they're both financial services, credit card and insurance are two very different, very products. different beasts. Oh my yeah. gosh. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, um, everyone must have insurance. It's regulated differently. And then I learned when I got there, uh, once again, what I thought would be vanilla was Rocky Road because um, <laughs> my playbook, if you will, have what, what works in affinity is to give you more of what you have an affinity to. So if you love Mary Kay, I'm going to give you some Mary Kay stuff. If you love Notre Dame football, when you come to a game, let's give you a t-shirt. Let's give you a sweatshirt. Let's give you more Notre Dame things. In insurance, that was called illegal. Uh, yeah. Giving away something. Inducement was the word. Yes. That popped up in one yep. of the first meetings. I said, what do you mean inducement? How can it be bad for the consumer? So uh, I had to quickly learn how to work with departments of insurance via our legal department. We launched a campaign to go around and help change that point of view. And so learned uh, more so there, I think, how to deal with public officials, how to think about um, ecosystem change. Uh, at the same time, they had also they had just come off some uh, time of agents sharing their concerns around what they what they would call competing businesses internally. And they had shared that point of view to Tom Wilson probably a couple months before I got there, so I, but I didn't know it. So I walked into all these things at one time. So I think the learning was one, you can do all the investigation that you want to, and you can stay in a laboratory as much as you want to and do tests. But at some point you have to go out and do actual experiments. Yeah. And that job was a huge experiment that I learned a lot from. And then um, I did that for about three years. And then I went to Legal Shield. Legal Shield called and said, hey, I need a guy to similar thing. We want to grow this part of our business. I think the context at that time was viewed primarily as a direct sale, direct marketing company. Uh, but wanted to really establish a brand in the B2B space, right? Really working through benefits brokers to get yeah. things to larger employers, et cetera, and need somebody to come in and do that. And I went there and established the uh, Legal Shield Business Solutions brand as a brand new brand and brought the different products under the umbrella to have a much more concerted and uh, intent-driven effort to get out nice. to businesses. And, and that was great too. I think the learning there for me was I had never worked in a private equity environment before. Mm-hmm. So I had been used to these massive machines, right? Yeah. Yeah. Morgan Chase is a machine in each business they're in. And same thing at Allstate. Uh, you go from a trillion dollar company to a $40 billion company, then to a $300 million company. And while the PE guy said, hey, you roll up your sleeves a little more here. You don't, you don't really totally know what that means. <laughs> and then you get there and you go, Oh, okay, great. Yeah, that's what you meant. (laughs) Yeah, that's what you meant. But to me, it was one of the most fun opportunities, I think, because 
having come from places that were a bit more established and set in their ways, I kind of knew the, let's call it the flywheel, if you will, but it wasn't in concrete at Legal Shield. So I got a chance to help build the flywheel. And that was fun, right? Depending on how you, you know, if you've got the time to invest in it. I just happened to sign up for my executive MBA right before I had moved. So that I didn't count on either being doing my executive MBA at the same time. But it was it was a great ride, Harlan. And I would say um, made a, a ton of great relationships there, learned a brand new business again, and uh, have, have really enjoyed it. That's yeah. awesome. But what I take away from that is that every at every job, you took on more challenges, you accepted more challenges, you were able to use that knowledge that you gained in the next job, the next job, Absolutely. you know, it's kind of built on it and stuff. And a lot of people don't, they get, they get caught up in uh, talk. I'm not saying anything bad about my dad, but my dad worked at Lockheed aircraft for 38 some odd years doing the same thing. Yes. The minute he walked in the door to the minute he walked out doing the yeah. exact same thing. I've never been that way. You don't sound like you've ever been that way. It's always give me, give me an opportunity to learn something new. Yes. Yeah, I, I thrive on a learning curve, quite honestly. I think when it gets to, I love building what I like to call a system of success, right? And mm-hmm. building a operating, you know, governance model, a good operating system, the right processes, make sure people understand the, the business model, operating model, governance model, et cetera. But then once it gets to running well, I'm not that guy. I think I've had two people in my life, uh, both at Allstate and uh, Legal Shield, who were either chief operating officer reporting to me or my chief marketing officer, Claire at Legal Shield would stop me and go like, you have an idea every day, like twice a day. Like, We're still trying to execute this. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah. that's me. Right. Yeah. I, you know, and so I got better at uh, leaning into the execution into end and seeing it through, but definitely not once it gets to a point where we are quote unquote, not innovating as much. Right. So on and so yeah. forth. Um, it feels like a good time to find a next challenge. Yeah. And you got to keep innovating. But to look and say, hey, I've never really done HR before. Let me go learn the HR side, yeah. you know, which prepares you for the, the next time. Absolutely. That is Absolutely. awesome. And that's one of the types of courage we talk about is intellectual courage, having the courage to set aside your long-held beliefs, the knowledge that you have to make room for new knowledge. Absolutely. Right? The, the stuff that I learned at Lockheed, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, shoo, 40 years ago. You know, it's like, I don't want to, you know, you don't base everything on that knowledge. There's new stuff coming out all the time. Absolutely. Always make room for that. So you said you had a team of about 60 at JP Morgan. Is that correct? Yeah. When I first started and I, and you know, when I got to at the height of things after the JP Morgan Chase merger and the bank one merger, I had a team of about 400 between several cities in the U S a small team in London, small team in uh, India, et cetera. Yeah. 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 Wow. So if I was to bump into any one of these people just on the street and ask them what type of leader you are. What would they tell me? What type of leader are you? Hopefully you'll get a chuckle first from the memory, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, good memory. Second, I would say motivational. Uh, I sent out a success thought, what I call the thought of the day every day. I started that in January of 2000 um, just to help generate some goodness. So, you know, I was coming to New York every day and I would get to the New York office after a two hour train ride and find that people were in these cubes that had these real high walls. And I didn't feel like there was really any conversation unless it was specifically about a completing a task. Yeah. And so I would read on a train, something from Covey or whatever, and, uh, or the paper that I found interesting. I said, hey, let me send a snippet and tell folks what I'm thinking about. And I found that it helped generate some conversation. People go, Hey, you mm-hmm. see the things James sent. And so I said, well, I'll just do it every day. And so here we are 20 plus years later, I still send that out every day. So that's one thing I think people would say, you know, I get his motivational thoughts and things that make me ponder what I'm doing. 
The second thing is from a leadership style, hopefully people would say, I lived out these four C's that I talk about all the time. You've, you've got to be a coach, a cheerleader, a confidant, and a counselor. You've got to coach people during the game and help them see that they're going the right direction. You have to be a cheerleader and cheer them on publicly. You have to counsel in private, right? And yes. reprimand and give the coaching and such. Yes. And you have to be a confidant, but sometimes you just listen. You mm-hmm. just let them come in your office. You come from around the desk and you sit side by side with them and just let them pour out what's going on with them. And sometimes Absolutely. you don't have to say a daggone thing. You just listen. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think a lot of executives miss that point. They always want to be pontificating and they want to, they want to be the smartest guy in the room. So here's how to fix this. And a lot of times, and I learned that from my wife, because I do that all the time. I'm trying yes. to fix whatever it is. I'll fix it. It's like, just listen. Just listen. So that's <laughs> what I do. Just, listen. just sit and listen. Yeah. Um, talk to me about your time at uh, Think Human. Yeah, I, I started uh, working with Think Human. You know, I'm a, I'm a consultant, uh, work through them and helping them with some of their clients. And, you know, when I left the corporate environment in 2018 to work uh, on my nonprofit in a much more dedicated way, I decided to try to split my time. Could I split half my time running a nonprofit and the other half my time trying to impact people? And there's a thought that I was with Keith Ferrazzi once and we were doing a speaking engagement. And right before we got to speak, we talked about how much time we spend trying to, you know, let's call it evangelize and get these messages out around, you know, uh, how to lead better, so on and so forth. And we, he asked this question, he said, you know, what's the smallest amount of change you can make to the smallest amount of people to make the largest impact. And that always stuck with me. So when I thought about the other half of my time, I thought about, you know, I'm going to spend on the nonprofit time working with youth and things like that and trying to be in those rooms. But the other half of my time, can I be at the top of organizations, helping leaders think differently about leadership, helping them be their best selves, helping them think about their legacy, right? And some principles. And so that's why I partnered with Think Human to do both executive coaching, usually in a C-suite and some facilitation. Nice. And the training, right? They do all, all three, they do training, yes. coaching and performance stuff. Yes. Um, the website talks about the four progress facilitators, clarity of vision, structure, accountability, and communication. Yeah. Which of those do you think is most important for a business or an executive? Clarity of vision, uh, because it's so closely tied to purpose. You know, I'm a fan that uh, if you're going to lead an organization, if you're going to try to get beyond, I always call them, you know, there's, there's like four symptoms, one root problem, and then three, you know, solution sets, right? If to me, the symptoms are everything from, you know, leaders saying, you know, no one seems to have the same invested interests as I do. You know, if I walk down a hallway, people walk past the paper on the floor and I have to be the one to pick it up. Right. Um, no one necessarily wants my job. You know, back, back in the day it used to be, we didn't have enough jobs for folks today. It's a lot of leaders look to the left and right. I don't see anyone who wants my seat. Yeah. Uh, and then it goes on. And, you know, I always say to leaders thematically, a lot of these rap roll into engagement. Right. Uh, and, you know, Gallup's done this work, so we don't have to redo yep. it. I mean, we know a third or a little over or folks are engaged and the other two thirds are not. And how do we move people from that or not bucket, particularly when that bucket has two pieces, right? The yeah. disengaged and actively disengaged. And right. so yeah. for me, the biggest thing that helps move people is the linkage to purpose. If you have a clear purpose and you can hire people as you're interviewing people, you start the conversation in, are they bought into your purpose? And what, what is their purpose? What are they seeking out? And can you create some linkage? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, the disengaged and the actively disengaged, they could actually be almost sabotaging the business. Oh yeah. Actively working against you. 
Absolutely. That's what, I mean, that's what Gallup describes them as people who are, you know, the disengaged are, you know, they finish their work and once they're done, you would hope they come ask you for the next thing to do. No, they're going to play Candy Crush and be on Facebook. And whatnot. <laughs> but the actively disengaged are literally out holding community sessions yeah. about what's wrong with what you're doing. After the meeting, they're the ones who go, do we really need to do that? Right. James, sure about that. I mean, do we really need to offshore those jobs to India? Is that really helpful for us? We yeah. should we should revolt. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think it was Gallup that talked about it. Uh, discretionary effort. Right. We yes. as employees, I mean, if you go to Vegas, you have money set aside to blow in Vegas. Right. That's your discretionary fund. You can you can play with and not really worry about anything. We have discretionary effort. We bring from the jobs that we've had previously. We can come in and say, hey, I know how to do that or I've done that before. Or, I've seen yes. it done. And I can help out the employees that say, yeah, I could help them. But that's not my job. That's not what they pay me for. Yeah. 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 That drives me up the wall. Absolutely. It drives you up the wall because, you know, you know, sometimes they can see it. It's like it's within five feet of reach. Right. Yeah. And just just if you just leaned. Yeah. Nah, it's not. Yeah, I not. still do it today. I walk. I'm in the grocery store, you know, push the little cart along and yeah. I see, you know, something has fallen off the shelf, a bag of beans or whatever. I put it back right. on the shelf. I turn Same the can here. around or whatever. Yeah, I just. Same here. I can't help it. Um, and now CoreLink Solutions. Yes. Talk to me about, about CoreLink yeah, CoreLink uh, was birthed uh, years ago as CoreLink Ministries. The DBA is the CoreLink Solution, and I describe it as a head and heart mission. Uh, on the head side, if you will, we have a curriculum for youth and adults that uh, is born out of my book, Success in Your Own Terms. And uh, it's about, you know, four, I, I call it the six promises, but let's just call it four major principles, right? How you develop your passion and purpose, how you develop a plan to pursue it how you create a tribe of people, right? E.g. mentors, sponsors, and such that are going to co-journey with you. And then fourthly, how do you give it back, both for retention for yourself and to help push this forward in terms of a community? And then on the heart side, we have a brand called Holy Culture. We do faith-based media. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. Um, working with the kids, what do, you, what do you see them struggling with as far as the linkage? I mean, is it, is it the vision for their future? Is it just not being able to kind of, kind of see outside of their circumstances or what? Yeah. You know, I think when I do the conversation around passion and purpose, whether it's adult or child, I start at the same place. Um, do you know where you're, you're headed? Where, do you really know where you're headed? Most, a lot of people struggle with it. Right. And I say for adults, a lot of times it's just been buried, right? We just got to excavate it. Cause I can ask a few questions, you know, what, what did you want to do when you were 10, 12 years old? Right. And the whole point of that question is before you knew you had to earn an income, what was it you were fixated on? Um, if, if you won five million bucks tomorrow, after you take all the fancy trips by your mom and papa home, by your home, all the cars, all the vacations, what will you be doing with the rest of your time? Okay. And usually a smile comes upon that person's face. Oh yeah. You know, okay, great. Hold that smile. Hold that thought. What is that thing? Let's, let's, let's play with that for a minute. How much time do you devote to that today? And we, we kind of go through there and with the youth, it's so interesting. Um, years ago, you know, we would be outside playing and, and doing those things, emulated. If you want to be an architect, you'd be drawn. If you want to be yeah. a scientist, you'd have your magnifying glass and burning ants, unfortunately, and doing crazy stuff, right? Yeah. But <clears throat> today, with the bombardment of media, which can be a good thing for information purposes, but also can be an unbelievable distraction and something that tells you maybe you're not good enough because you see clips of 
success icebergs, but you never see below the, the water. So you don't get right. to see the work in motion or the failures along the way. And so with youth, I find the conversations often trying to get them to believe there's possibility in their vision, right? Yes. There's actually possibility. Like you say, look, do you know how many times uh, that gymnast, you know, pick anyone you want to name, her name escapes me right now, um, but uh, has fallen on the way to being able to nail that kind of thing. I mean, how many times yeah. do you think on the balance beam she's fallen off? Oh, yeah. Right. Uh, how many times before he hit that dive with such a small splash? The first couple of times it may have been a belly flop. OK, yep. Yep. Uh, but you don't, no one's going to show you those clips. Mm-mm. That's not what we post. No. <laughs> we post the highlight reel. Exactly. And the, the, the 40 year overnight success, you know, yeah. you don't see the 40 years. You see this person while they're fresh on the scene. They're big. They're a hit. And they think I can do that, too. Or or I can't. Yes, you know? exactly. And and so I share with them as well. Sorry. What I share with them as well is, you know, I share with them, you know, you, you may read my titles, but you won't get is some of the failures along the way in some of those jobs where, where the places I really learned. And so I'll share some of those stories Good. Um, and that helps, you know, and I think um, the more we can help our youth see that and see almost, it's almost like uh, a rock star and uh, that we see on TV sometime. And then you actually sit down and have a meal with them and you go, they're just human. They put their yeah. pants on one leg at a time. Exactly. I, I believe from my interactions with the youth, they, they need a lot more of those kind of conversations. Yeah. So what's one of the stories you tell? I tell about, uh, for example, the difference between understanding, uh, misunderstanding authority and, and, and the purpose of collaboration. You know, I tell them when, you know, when I first got to Allstate, one of the biggest uh, mistakes I made, it was a subtle mistake, but it was a big mistake, was I had sold in the company on what the vision could be for it. Uh, within 90 days, we had increased my budget probably fourfold to grow this miraculous business. And I jumped on the authority train. I wanted to get it done. I didn't want any objections and I wanted to move. The miss was I could have done a whole lot more collaboration with field leaders and gotten a lot more momentum through, you know, creating understanding. Would it have taken more time on the road doing quote unquote dog and pony shows virtually or physically? Yes. But would it have gotten us further faster? I do believe so. Right. And I jumped on the authority train. I wanted to move. I wanted to go. And it wasn't a conscious thing either, Arlen. It was, I'm president. We got to go. Let's go. And so when I went to Legal Shield, uh, I took that learning with me. There was a similar opportunity to draw the strategy and vision and move. And I said, nah, we're going to go do a listening tour. And I remember uh, one executive saying, oh, you, don't, you, don't, you don't want to do a listening tour. You don't want to ask all the direct sellers. You know, that, they, that's not what, you know, just, you just need to tell them what to do. I said, no, 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 I want to go here. And I went and pro- we probably did three cities and just sat in the room and said, tell me what you wish things looked like. Tell me what some of your biggest problems are, your biggest inhibitors to creating sales at a clip that you would like to. And we got some great feedback. And my promise to them was we'll do something with it. We'll prioritize it. I'm not going to give you the whole, you know, whole view in, but we'll also have calls periodically kind of state of the business calls to let you know what we're moving. And I saw again, tons of goodwill and commitment based on that because you need to move from, and this is what I, you know, say all the time when you move from I to we things change dramatically. Absolutely. Very cool. Yeah. My wife and I, in our consulting, we tried to do that, you know, actually go around and talk to all the business units to find out, you know, okay, the business is planning this change. This ERP system is coming in. What do you need out of it? Right. And then you go back and talk to the group and they go, wow, we didn't know that. It's like, well, have you asked anybody or did you just come in ESP? You know, it's, right. it's ERP, not ESP. Right? <laughs> Ask them. I know it. Yeah. Um, goals. 
one thing that that uh, I just the presentation I did this morning at the uh, the chamber was all about setting goals and how we are not taught in school mm. how to set and achieve goals. How do you help the the youngsters today, the young people today, to actually set their goals? Yeah. So there are, I would say, three things that we do in the training. I think are that's important. I describe goals to them as, you know, pretend you're on this side of a river and your vision is on the other side of the river. Your goals are the the, the bricks or, you know, stands to help you across the river. Imagine yourself skipping on these stands. That's what your goal, your goal, your set of goals represent. That's the first thing. Um, the second thing is I teach the SMART system, you know, specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-bound. And I walk them through that. And then the third thing, I share with them is that they should be done across a number of areas. Many of us have grown in our careers. Even after we got goals, we were much more prone to do them in career because that's where somebody right. walked us through a process, through the annual process, et cetera. Uh, but we wouldn't do life goals, uh, fitness goals, economic goals, um, artistic goals. So these, I pushed them through seven additional areas um, next to career to help them understand it's about balance. Right. And so you, so, so if you want to be a CFO, you say, okay, great. I, I think I need to start as a junior accountant, then a senior accountant, maybe work through accounts payable, AR controllership, maybe comptrollership CFO. But what does that mean if you want to do this physically, right? What does that look like for the next month, the next six months, year, three years, et cetera? Uh, what does it mean, you know, economically, education, et cetera? And so that helps keep the quote unquote wheel in balance when the wheel works. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The relationships and everything, right? Absolutely. Very cool. Um, so let's talk about courage. Where did you find the courage to do everything you've done? I mean, all the, all the jobs that you had, you've written your own book, you know, you're, you're running the nonprofit and everything like that. Where did you find that courage? Uh, I think I found some of it, you know, I, I was struggling with this question a little bit. I think I found some of it out of necessity. Uh, I grew up as a kid who didn't believe he had his father's validation. Uh, I struggled with that for most of my young life. He unfortunately passed away without mm. me getting it in a mm. very untimely way. I don't know what it is a timely way about him, by the way, when we say untimely. Yeah. Um, and I think it sent me into performance mode and in an unconscious way. Right. But that was another way, I think, of seeking my validation. Right. So I don't think it was necessarily me putting on the courage cape versus, hey, I, I need to do something here, right, for, for myself. I think over time, as I embraced what I was doing and understood it, um, I believe I'm a kid of the king, you know? <laughs> you know? I'm a Christian. I don't hide it. Uh, I believe faith and action are important. Uh, a lot of times when we talk about faith, um, I think we can leave it at faith and prayer and sitting. And I believe you have to take some action. Absolutely. Well, and to me, courage is taking action, right? Yeah. I can, I can, I tell everybody, I can have great thoughts sitting on the couch with my fuzzy slippers on watching TV, right? Yeah. But if I don't act on it, is it really courage? Yeah. You know, absolutely. Um, and there's different types of courage that we tap into on a day-to-day basis. The, uh, we talked about intellectual courage, um, discipline, courage, having a plan and sticking to your plan, even though there's shiny objects around and things happening. Um, moral courage, Yes. Uh, social courage, saying what needs to be said, when it needs to be said, having this, the, the courage to let your voice be heard and things like that. Is there a type of courage you think is most important for entrepreneurs, executives? For entrepreneurs and executives, I, you know, I think more courage comes to mind when you say it. Um, 
you know, I want to say the curse to experiment, but I think experimentation is almost, um, you know, popular today. Yeah. I think what's not going to be popular that is sorely needed is more courage. And, um, you know, when you said it, you just, you just made me think about it. It made me think about an example. When, when I told you we were doing some offshore to India, I'll never forget this. We had, we kind of had a playbook inside of JP Morgan Chase. We owned a center over in India. And so that was owned. There was a group who operated and there was also a group who helped you with project transition and by the playbook, you know, you do all these things. And one of those things was the leader doesn't tell their team until I think, Oh, I don't know what it was, Harlan, maybe two weeks or so, 30 days or so before you're going to pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. You don't tell your current team, they're going to get displaced and then go through these, you know, the programs that you have corporately, right. To help you find something. And I said, well, no, I, you know, I can't, I can't do that. That doesn't really feel right to me. These, these 200 folks. Um, and I, at that time, yeah, I think it was close to 400 because I had the contact center in Houston. I said, look, uh, I talk to these folks every day. Um, I trust them. I believe in them. Uh, this is going to impact their families. When I know that we are, we know I want to tell them. And I got a lot of pushback. And I remember calling my manager and said, I said, listen, um, this is not, I'm not going to sleep. Well, this is not going to feel right. I said, if, if I'm going to be in a way, it's better to remove me and have somebody else take over and execute this thing. Like I, I can't, I can't do it. So I was willing. I was willing. To, I don't know if I told my wife this at the time, <laughs> like, but I was willing to come out of the job because I felt that uh, there's no way in the world I'd be able to yeah. look folks in the eye and do it that way. So my, uh, to her credit, she came back to me a day later and said, "Do it your way," and so told everyone it was several months ahead of schedule. But here's the beautiful thing that happened. Um, Folks had so much pride in what they did and how much the work meant to the organization that they leaned in and really worked with the India team to create something that that worked just to me, um, just uh, flawlessly in terms of executing and transition things. I mean, we transitioned probably 15 functions from the U.S. to the India in in that transition. Wow. Yeah. You know, employees are that way. I mean, if you communicate with them, you let them know what's happening and why, and they understand the why, they believe in you, they believe in, you know, what what's going on and what you're telling them, they'll support you. They'll yeah. do that. You know, yeah. I think that's the thing is a lot of people, they treat it almost like, um, I don't know, almost like a, a family. Oh, we're not going to talk to them because they don't need to know how bad things are. They don't need right. to know that we're going to make this change or whatever. It's like, no, involve them. Like you said, they've got a vested interest in this. Right. Let if, them know what's if, happening. if back to our earlier point, we, we've been keeping them engaged. If you've got right. a heavily, a more heavily disengaged population, you know. Yeah. And I tell the story of one guy, uh, my wife and I were working on a project up in Boston. And this guy, you know, they're making all these changes, ERP system and all these other changes and stuff like that. And we said, well, have you communicated this to your, your mm. team? Because they'll do what I tell them. It's like, oh, okay, hold on. Yeah, <laughs> you have to bring them on board with this. Have have you engaged them to get their input into this new system is coming in? He said, no, I've designed the system, and they'll do what I tell them, or they'll be fired. It's like, all right, here's my prediction: you're going to lose your top people, you're going to lose your bottom people because they're already yeah. halfway out the door, anyways. You're going to be stuck with this mediocre middle. Yes. And he goes, I don't believe it. They'll they'll stay here because they they love this place. They'll stick with me and both. And they didn't. He lost his top people. He lost his bottom people. Productivity fell. Sales, everything fell. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Got to bring the employees along with you. Have to. Must must do. Must do. Um, is there a type of courage you think that comes easier for you? Um, probably the um, 
I would say the, the, the listening and leaning in, I, I over-index on empathy. So the listening and leaning in, uh, and yeah, that, that one, I would probably say, I know, I know some leaders struggle with that because they feel like they're being, you know, they have to be vulnerable and so on and so forth. That one doesn't, uh, doesn't bother me as much. Yeah. And is there one that you struggle with a little bit more One that comes harder for you? You know, I think, uh, and I'm getting better at it, but it's one I consciously monitor is experimentation, right? I am such a results uh, driven person that uh, I can get easily fixated on, you know, I want this result. So this has to go right, as opposed to seeing it as the experiment, right? And then, you know, figuring out the experiments that work well and experiments that don't and being, being okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing I used to love is the manager says, okay, we don't think this is possible, but uh, here's what we want you to do. Go do it. It's like, oh, yeah. okay. Exactly. <laughs> and it was, it was working at Lockheed. We were in a, what they called the mock-up and tooling development. So we'd build the wind tunnel models and mm-hmm. all these things. stuff. So the engineer would come down and say, yeah, we don't think this is possible, but here's a drawing of what we're looking for. It's like, <laughs> get out of the way. <laughs> you know? Not a bit. <laughs> yeah, but it was, it was cool because you, you get those creative juices flowing and who yeah. knows what's going to come out of that, you know? Exactly. So... Very cool. And your book, Success on Your Own Terms, you said that came out of your work at CoreLink? No, that came out of, you know, literally was born out of mentoring folks while I was at J.P. Morgan Chase. Uh, nice. I just started taking a bunch of notes and uh, I think I was taking the notes because I wanted to be consistent. You know, I was mentoring anyone literally who, who asked. I felt like to, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. Nice. And I uh, started taking notes. Next thing you know, I've got, you know, 50 something pages of notes and uh, I'm sharing it with a friend over lunch. He said, I think it's a book. It's not, it's not a book. <laughs> and he said, well, you mind if I introduce you to a book coach? I said, okay. And uh, she said, I think it's a book. Nice. <laughs> you mind if I introduce, mind if I share with an agent? Okay. If you think so. And uh, the rest of the story is history, as they say. Very nice. You know? Yeah. Good job. Well, this has been awesome. Um, If people want to get in touch with you and follow your, your career and and learn more about you and your podcast, we didn't talk about your podcast. Yeah. And that is, what is a podcast again? Same thing. The Coiling Solution with James Rousseau Sr. And uh, the whole purpose of the podcast to help you go further, faster in your career. Excellent. Very cool. So if people want to find the podcast. Yeah, sure. Um, Search Apple podcast, the Coiling Solution. Or uh, you can go to thecorelinksolution.com and you'll see right there everything we offer in terms of our uh, online programs. But right in the top right corner, you'll see a podcast button as well. Very cool. And your book is available on Amazon? Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, all those good places. All the good places. Very cool. And can people connect with you on LinkedIn? Absolutely. Yeah. Just James Rousseau Sr. Yeah. Very cool. Well, James, this has been awesome. Thank you so much Arlen, thank for being you so on the show. Me. You know, I appreciate it. This has been great. And there's a lot of good takeaways from this. I will have all of your links in the show notes so people can, can reach out and get your book and everything like that. Um, but yeah, thanks for, thanks for sharing with us. Yeah, thanks awesome. again for having me. Appreciate it. All right. It. Listeners, hope you guys appreciate this. Um, hope you're taking notes. And uh, if you appreciate this episode, make sure you share it with your family, friends, and colleagues and stick around because there's always more coming. And that's it for me, Coach Harlan saying so long for now. 